Welcome back to the Black Belter Podcast. This is episode 58. This week's guest is ITF Taekwondo legend Julia Cross. Julia is one of the most successful competitors in Taekwondo, winning a truly incredible 6 world titles and 15 European titles. Julia won these titles across sparring, patterns and even power breaking, which shows what a great all-round martial artist she is. Since retiring from competition, Julia has coached and brought through world and European champions from her club. She has even coached Scotland's most successful senior male in Giles Brown, who was on the podcast way back in episode 8. But today I chat to Julia about her incredible competitive career, the importance of mental preparation, dealing with retirement, her recent MBE and more. So as always, make sure to like, share and subscribe and hope you enjoy. So, Miss Julia Cross, what's up? Thanks a minute for coming on. Thank you very much for having me. It's a, it's a great privilege and honour because I've watched many of your podcasts and they've been great. No, no, like, I, like I said, when I, when I got in contact with you, like you have been, uh, I've had a good few people asking, like it would be great to have you on. So uh, so here we are, we're doing it. So hopefully people will, I'm sure people will enjoy hearing your story. It was very humbling that people want to, to hear my story or whatever questions you've got to ask me. So I'm interested to find out what you're going to ask uh well i suppose we'll uh i suppose we could start where i start with everybody is is how, how you got started how you got started in taekwondo like where did the journey begin why did you start training i started training when i was 11 my dad did it before me and then he trained in edinburgh and he snapped his achilles tendon so he was off for a year and then when he wanted to start training again he said right why don't you come along and that was kind of that was so it? it was something for me and him to do together. Oh, uh, did, did he achieve? A, was he a black belt? Was he competitive himself? Or no, he, he no, no. He he stopped at black tags, which I was so disappointed. But when I got my black belt before him, I think he was like, "Yeah, I can't do this anymore. I'm <laughs> I'm done." Yeah. yeah, that's like the worst time to stop. I think, isn't it? Black tag, like you're so close. Just give it that extra push, like you know, just give yeah. that extra little push and get there. And then I suppose if you want to stop, you could stop because. Uh, he always says, "I should have done it." I went, "Well, you're 80 now, so yeah, no, no, yeah." Because I think that's always like before, probably any like goals of competing or anything. Like I think that's when everybody comes in; they want to be a black belt. So isn't that kind of the thing? Isn't that the, like the first goal everybody has? So I think like that would have been, you know, to stop a black tag so close. It's a shame. You see, so many people do it, don't they? To stop a black tag. So many people do it. Yeah. Yeah, and did did you um did, did you get in competing straight away then, or like were you was there a bit of time that you were training before you got into competition? I started competing at a green belt. Um, I think it was twelve, and at that time it was boys and girls together. And I remember my first competition, and I got a black belt in the first round. This boy, and I got battered, and I was like, "That's never going to happen again," and I was so disappointed. I'd never done it before, so I didn't know what was going to happen. And after that, I was like, right, I'm going to train hard and I'm going to beat these boys. Yeah. Was that part of it? Was it the fact that you were in with boys as well? You didn't want to get beaten by a boy? Yeah. <laughs> massively. Massively. Yeah. Jeez, but like, that, that's that's kind of crazy, though, competition. Like, in terms of like a green belt girl in with a black belt boy, like, in terms of experience, and like, like that's cr- you wouldn't see that now, like. This was... 33 years ago so it's a long time ago it doesn't happen now yeah 
Uh, was there just not, like would there, would there have been many other girls in the division, or were you kind of one, only one or two? Trying to think back, I think it was mostly boys, a few girls. I can't remember to be honest. It was that long ago. Yeah. I would, it was like obviously like throughout your career, like you were successful in patterns and, and sparring, but was it like kind of at that time? Do you would you think you were more patterns over sparring, more sparring over patterns, or were you always kind of interested in both or good at both? At first, when I started, it was I always liked the sparring kind of more than the patterns, so I wasn't very good at patterns at the beginning. <laughs> uh, my instructor, Grandma Sutherland, well, she said to me, "Right." okay, you need to work more at that and this. So I started to work harder at the patterns and then I started to enjoy them more. So yeah, I, I think it's hard to say which one I preferred in the, the latter years with the Worlds and Europeans, but I always loved performing part, patterns when I got better at them, but then I loved getting in the ring and sparring. So I can't say which one I liked better, but I think... If I'm honest with myself, I loved winning the sparring titles more. Yeah. Yeah, I, I was, when I started, I was much more like in, in patterns. Like I didn't really, in terms of competition, like sparring, I wasn't, I never really did that well in sparring. I could spar well in the club when we were training, but when it came to competition, okay. I, just, I, I couldn't put it together. I was always more patterns and I'd win in patterns. So I could be there with a gold medal in patterns and then I'd come to the sparring and I kind of like, I didn't really care how it, the sparring went. It was like, just get that out of the way because I have a gold medal already. But then like, uh, see, I start, that's the wrong mindset. but then you see, I started to get in like, you know, I suppose teenagers and I don't know, it was a puberty or whatever. And you start to want to, you don't mind fighting as much. So then like, that's when like the sparring started to come then. And now I'd like, obviously I'd probably be, I would prefer sparring to patterns. Not that I don't like patterns, but I'd be more sparring, obviously, and, and would prefer that. But it's mad how it just changes from where you start to throughout your time. It can, it can flip around. It's funny. I've seen so many people over the years that can spar brilliantly in the club, and they're amazing, but they can't do the transition in the competition. Yeah. It's just incredible. I've seen so many people do that, and then they go in the ring, and it's like, that's not what you do. We know you can do better than that, but that's the mindset. Yeah, yeah, I definitely don't want to touch on on some of that, like mindset, like that you said you that you have so you have some stuff that you've done to yourself, and um, but yeah, I definitely think like the mindset is uh, is a massive thing. Like, yeah, that's probably what definitely what it was even for me was a mindset problem. I think you can have all the ability in the world, but if you don't believe in yourself, you can train as hard as you want. If you don't believe in yourself and do the the mental preparation before it it can all just crumble in a second. Yeah, yeah. one definitely, yeah. And it's like just in terms of how long did it take you to how long did it take you to get the black belt? How long were you training? Were you was it quite was it quite quick progression or um I started just before I was twelve, eleven, and then I got my black belt at fifteen. Okay, which at yeah. the time I was the youngest black belt in uh, the UK because when I started there wasn't many younger people they didn't have kids classes so when i started you were straight in with the adults yeah so Actually, yeah i was 15 yeah yeah adrian adrian's actually has said the same that when he started like he was i can't remember like he was one of the only like younger people like it was all kind of adults when he started um, it was just so all that, together that, that was just kind of the thing i suppose like but it's mad when you look now like it's probably like more kids than adults that's a lot of you know majority of clubs would be the younger kids but you know back then it was 
the other way around like very little kids and mostly adults to, like you know well definitely yeah then also over the years it's progressed and more and more kids so then you split the classes and yeah so how no, did... it, was, it was fun training with my dad in the same class which was a bit <laughs> bizarre yeah. so then when you got the black belt then in terms of like going to uh, European championships would there, would there, would there have been a, a junior European championships or world championships or were you straight into senior no the first um, European championships I did was in uh, Vienna in 1991 um, <clears throat> so yes I've got my first gold medal European champion at power breaking which was cause I used okay. to love power breaking and then I had a, a bronze in sparring. So I was 17 at the time. So that was a big eye-opener seeing all these other girls, all these females. Because in Scotland and Britain at the time, there, there wasn't a huge amount of females. It was like, wow. And that opened my eyes. And I remember going, oh, I want to do this. There's a bigger picture out there. Abroad, there's all these girls that want to spar, want to do patterns. So I was hooked from that. Yeah, first European Championships. Yeah, you see that over and over again, isn't it? That that, that first one, yeah. the first one is the make or break. Either like like you did there, you go right. That's I want some of that, and you you put in the work, like and you get back and you're training and ramps up. Or people tend to go, oh, and if it's like they don't really want it, you know, it's the first one could be make or oh, break. I, even when I'm talking to you about, it, I can feel that feeling because when we were power breaking, there was just a line of all these girls. You're just standing in line waiting for your shot. It was just bizarre. I'm going, I love this. This is this is incredible. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. And, and completely different to what you're used to in terms of competition, like when you just go to that level. Massively. And, but I suppose even at that time, like, you know, you didn't, you wouldn't have had, I suppose, YouTube or anything like that to go back and, and to go and watch videos to kind of see what it even looks like or the setup or anything. Like, you just had to arrive to this tournament and see it <laughs> and you just had you just had to remember what you did and how you performed and you, you you have to go back in your head of how you did it because there was no feedback there was you couldn't view it again so you just had to remember everything you did right or wrong yeah which is kind of tough like because I don't know if you've ever had this, like, but I know sometimes when I come out, like, like there's only there's like certain moments that stick in your mind straight after the the, the fight, like, and but then like loads of the rest of it is kind of a it's a blur to something like right after you do have to watch it back to kind of go, oh yeah, that happened, and then I did this, and then oh well, oh, why did I do that, or oh yeah, that I did that, and that was good, or you know, like it's you don't remember the whole fight start to finish when you first come out. Well, at least I don't. Maybe some people do, or I don't know if you did, but that can be. If you don't, and you, and remember you don't some, sometimes the patterns, even like a world title final and stuff, doing the patterns are going, I don't remember a single thing of that. Yeah. It was just like automatic pilot, and I'm going, oh, I remember just standing at the world well, championship, I think it was 2005, and I remember going, I don't even know if I did it right. <laughs> and then my yeah. hand got lifted up, I was like... It must have been all right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You just start the first movement and before you know it, you're at the end and it's kind of sometimes like, I don't even know what happened in between there, but something. It's automatic pilot because when you train that much, it's just your, your mind just takes over and your body just does it. And you, I felt the same in sparring and patterns. Your body just takes over because you've trained, trained, trained. So it's just what you do is, 
response automatic. Yeah. Oh yeah. And like at the after that first world championships in Vienna and you had obviously that first gold medal, did you think like you were going to at that time have another fourteen of them by the time you finished? Was that something you thought in your head? Like or was it we'll just go to next year's one and see if see what happens there? When I think back on it, it's like I only lived for a competition after that, it was like, which which one's next? Which one's next? Which one's next? So that was life. It was just next tournament, next tournament, preparing. And after that one, it was always my goal to be world champion. Yeah, I suppose that has to be the the natural the natural goal. And the training kind of did you did you ramp did you did you do you feel like and even looking back now that your training really kind of ramped up around that time, like after seeing that level of competition. I mean, I always trained hard. Um, but yeah, it definitely in a, made a program up of like what I was going to do each day and how I was going to achieve this goal. I was very forward thinking, if you like, as saying, okay, this is the next tournament. This is what I have to do. I need to work on this. So yeah, it was, there was always a goal. There was always a goal. Next Worlds, next Euros, whatever competitions, Ireland, Belgium, we travelled all over to get experience, to get see what other people were doing, and what the what the highest people were doing. And I thought, well, I can do that. Yeah, yeah. And do you think that like was that kind of a big thing, kind of to travel around? Like, was there like in terms of was there many high level there was it would there have been many high level competitions either in Scotland or the UK or did you feel like you had to go to these different countries like to, you know like I suppose whatever the Dutch Open might have been at that time or the Holland Cup would have been at that time like the kind of equivalent at that time would like did you feel you had to go to these tournaments to to get the yeah, experience? Yeah, we, we always travelled abroad. I mean, there was some in Scotland and stuff, but at the time when I was progressing, there wasn't that many females. So my instructor. Uh, took a group of us all over Europe, basically. And then my first world championships was in North Korea in 1992, just when I turned senior. Oh, that's a, that's a nice one. What was, what was that tournament like? That was like? an experience. Yeah, what was that tournament like? Oh, it was just... Never seen anything like this in my life. Going to a communist country and you're 18 years old going, what is going on? Um... Yeah, it was an experience I'll never ever forget. Yeah, and like in terms of like the whole just the setup was a like my understanding from talking to some people like it was a fairly professional setup like it was a it was a well run tournament. Was great. It was, yeah. Well, I'm saying great. I remember waiting to spar. Um, it was nearly midnight, and we got told to come back the next day. They took it to midnight to tell you that, like what? <laughs> and okay. I was sitting with my sparring equipment on for hours, hours and hours. At the side of the ring, they couldn't have told you like at six or seven o'clock, like this will be tomorrow. They wait, they made you wait, like how late no. were they going? Like <laughs> it was the bizarrest thing I've ever experienced in my life. Um, the whole setup was very staged. Not the, not the competition, but outside you were taken around and you were put in groups and you had a um, a guide. And I remember going on this trip and there's all these people sitting in a park as a family picnic waving at us and we were taken round as these foreigners but they were all put there by the government 
to make it look like oh, it was bizarre. That's crazy. That's, yeah, yeah. so many stories about North Korea. Yeah, because you you're quite a hear that that's, that's that, like I suppose you kind of hear and hear that, that stuff goes on like but like do you actually know it does like you know it's not just people say that like, you've experienced it like yeah that's that's crazy. Well, the, the street lights went out at eight o'clock. There was two TV channels. One was Kim Il Sun at the time, and one was Korean Dancing. Um, you weren't allowed to leave the hotel after a certain time. It was well, yeah. It was a life experience, for sure. That's that that that's what that's what the journey. It's all part of it, isn't it? That's what the, the taekwondo yep. can give you at that high level. You just experience these different places. Uh, and like, what do you? Obviously, you had like. Am I right in saying your first world title gold was in then nineteen ninety nine? Is that? Yeah, in Argentina. Yeah. What do, What do you think was the big? Because obviously, I've been winning European championships. What do you, do you think there was a big reason between like? Like it maybe took you so long. Like obviously, you were very successful winning European titles, but then, like you were competing for quite a while before you got to get that world title. I know. <laughs> Unfortunately, yeah, I don't know. There was a <clears throat> when I went to um, when I was going to Argentina, I was the only Scottish person that went, and my instructor basically said, "Okay, nobody can go. It's too much money, but there's two options." Or coaches, they're willing to help you. So, Master Willie Van der Mortel took me on board, um, and he changed my life in the way of training. <clears throat> so I went to Holland, I think three times before Argentina, and uh, <clears throat> the training was just incredible. And I remember he said to me, "Julia, do you know how good you are?" And I went, "Oh, I think I'm all right." And he said to me, you're the best female I've ever seen patterns and sparring, but until you believe it in yourself, you'll never win. And those words, even now when I say it, and I trained him and he changed the way I thought about myself, preparation, training. <clears throat> and I went to Argentina and he was coaching the Slovenian team. So I was kind of hanging out with the Slovenian team. And yeah, so he just made me believe in myself because I always I think people think I'm this most confident person everybody's not but he made me <clears throat> believe that I could do it and the process to make me win so yeah he uh, changed the whole mindset of my mind yeah and so would you think like that's the biggest thing like apart from anything like physical like that, not, not, like it wasn't the drills it wasn't the training it was maybe the, the conversations oh. he had, the things he said to you, the conversations you had maybe during training, outside of training, do you think that was more of an impact than actually anything physical that you did? Massively, because I trained hard, hard, hard all the time. Now I'd go to Europeans and lose because I sometimes would go in the ring and go, oh, she's really good, and doubted myself. <clears throat> so until I changed my own mindset, that's when I started winning Worlds and because I did loads of mental preparation, loads of uh, CBT, like I go and see people to help me, visual visualization, everything. I did it all. And was this all after? Like, the, are you you had kind of spoken with Willie Vandermort, or was it? But was it? But was it this before, or was it kind of from that point on? You kind of really felt like the mental side was something you needed to improve. I did some of it before, but more so after I won my first world. Because yeah. then I thought, 
because I was just in the zone, I had all this preparation, had all these mantras uh, printed out from Muhammad Ali and just things I would, I'd had, I would have this whole book I would read through, do this, do that, exactly the way I did it to make sure I was focused. And I used to lie down on a pad after my warm up and just go, right, virtually nearly sleep. And then coach would come and kind of go, right, ready? I'll be like, yep, yeah, I've done all the work, I'm ready. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And I, I know speaking to other people, like that's definitely something like just, and it's a strange thing, like, like to go out and compete, but you're actually kind of, you get into this like the sleepy state, like where you're just yeah. chilled. It's like, the, it's like that, like the body knows, like, you know, it's getting itself ready to just whoo, to shoot up in terms of adrenaline. You just get into this lull like that. You could nearly sleep. And, uh, no, you do. And then I'd get my stuff on. And I always had this silly thing of putting on my sparring gear, take it off and then put it on again. I had to do it twice. Yeah, and was there a certain was, was there a certain order you had to put everything on? Did you have to put a, 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 yeah. a certain glove on? Yeah, oh yeah, <laughs> I have to say I can relate to that. Um, yeah, I, I I discovered that by accident that there was just always this way. Like I'd, I'd nearly subconsciously put the gear on a certain way, and it was only by chance I ended up putting like my right glove on first or something. And I kind of was just like, wait, this doesn't feel right. It's like so then I took it out and like I put the, the left one on first, and it was like, oh yeah, that feels better. And it, it's not necessarily for me a thing where it's like if I don't put it on this way, I'm not going to win. It's just like this thing that it makes you feel comfortable to put it on that way, if that makes sense. And that's what you want to feel. You want to feel comfortable, you know, just to put it on a certain way. It's just like, right, I, I you know, it just, you just do it that way, you know? <laughs> I know, I know exactly what you're saying. I did it so many times. Um, it's just the things you do to make you feel prepared. And I always did this thing <clears throat> before I went on the mat. I was calm. And then when I stood on the mat, then I'd let the fire rise inside me, like the adrenaline, but I'd only let it happen as soon as I stepped on the mat. Yeah. But that was training from help with CBT and all this kind of stuff. Yeah. So then was that like, like that? Was there many kind of exercises you did? Like obviously you had your routines and you had your stuff worked out for like competition day, but like around that in your training, like you're in the months leading up, was there exercises and training that you did then with that as well? Was there certain things? Yeah, <clears throat> a lot of visualization at night, especially in bed, of what you want to see yourself, how you want to see yourself perform. And the person I spoke to a lot, it's like visualize yourself from above, watching yourself of how you're going to perform. So I did loads of that, of how you want to do it, how you want to... It's hard to explain when people haven't done it, but you're watching yourself of what you want to do um, and how you want to feel when you're standing on the podium. Yeah, yeah, yeah 100%, yeah. Loads. Yeah. I feel like, yeah. I feel like I've done that myself more so just fucking like with nothing nothing too like like thought out you just kind of go into this nearly like a daydream at times like you know what I mean like it, that's why sometimes in my head it's like you know you just you're thinking about it you just kind of drift off sometimes and you're thinking about the competition and you're thinking about like, maybe I'm competing against this person and and, and you like you're visioning yourself out from an outside and you, you're, you just won and now you're standing on the podium and, and, and you're kind of trying to see how would that feel like you know it's kind of and it does really help, I, I find, like... Massively. 
I was very worried for, okay, it's a lot different when I was competing. You didn't know the draws like days, weeks before. Um, maybe we got it a day before, but I always said to my coach, I don't want to know. I don't want to know. There's no point. Just tell me five minutes before I go on. That and that's it. that. Yeah. Whereas now people look at it and they research them. Competitor, for me, I just thought, well, if I'm going to win, I have to beat everybody. So it doesn't matter who I have. Yeah. There's no point in oh, getting worked up about it. It's a it's a loss of energy. Yeah, hundred percent. I I found out myself. Like, and I, I'm sure there's people out there to send it. When you see the draw, you start getting nervous thinking about it. You've just read the draw, and straight away, like you're like, it's oh my god, and you start worrying about everybody. Yeah. And like you said, like, like there's people in another half that you can't even compete against. Like, not you can only compete against one of them in the final. Like a whole half of the draw, you can only go against one of them, and you're there worrying about all of them. Like you know, like you kind of for, for me myself, this I just is feel like, it's, yeah, it's a waste of energy being nervous about who you're fighting or who you're doing patterns against two or three days before. Three, yeah, that's that's losing your energy. Yeah, now, that's the thing. Yeah, for 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 three days, for, and it could even be longer depending on when the draws go. But you're just there on edge, like you know, exactly. And it's, and it's uh, yeah, pointless energy. Yeah. As like, and so then like going forward after Argentina then was was Master Van der Mart, was he kind of in your corner a lot after that then? Yeah, no, that was the only time. Oh. Um, and then 2001, the next World Championships, we had uh, we had a team and stuff, so it was different coaches. But unfortunately, I got uh, food poisoning and ended up spending two days in hospital. Ah. Oh. That's not, no, yeah. That's not great. That's not great. It's like after no, you said, after you said, like great. to go from Argentina to where you'd won, and then you came back and you put yeah. in all this mental preparation, like which is actually even great. Like, so, some, even sometimes you actually see nearly like somebody wins and they think they have it cracked, but you kind of went the other way. You won in Argentina and went, okay, there's still there's so much more I have to improve, and went and focused yeah. on the mental side. But then you get to the next World Championships and it all went tits up. The, <laughs> the first World Championships, my mom and dad and my sister came to watch. Um, to see me retain my title because I was trained so hard. I was in the best shape of my life. I was adamant. And then the day before the competition, I woke up. I was the only girl uh, in the team. Woke up, couldn't see, had to phone reception. And uh, the coach at the time had to carry me to hospital. I spent two days on a drip. Jeez. What a... Yep, that wasn't, that wasn't great. That's... that's uh... That memory sticks in there for all the wrong reasons, I guess. But you know what? I missed, I missed, I missed the patterns. I was in hospital, and then I came out, and the coach was going, "You're not competing." I was like, "Yeah, I am." So I decided I was going to spar the next day, um, <clears throat> and I was. My mum and dad were there. I was like, "I have to do it," and I got to the quarterfinals. I don't know how I did it. But I was fighting, fighting, and the quarterfinals had the German girl who was always one of my toughest opponents. Uh, and it went to a draw. And I remember standing, it went to extra time, and I couldn't even move. Like, I couldn't move. And she just, the extra time. I, and all I could hear in the stadium was my dad shouting for me to go, go, go. And I literally I had nothing left in my body. But I, well, I'd been on a drip for two days, but I still did it. And 
That's probably one of my proudest moments when the coach told me, you're not going to spar. And I said to him, it's not your journey, it's mine, and I'll decide. So I did. Yeah. Okay, it wasn't the best, but I still did it. Yeah, that's actually... Yeah, I suppose, like, that That definitely does show, like, uh, I suppose the, the, the character of you as a, as a competitor, like, you know, like yeah. even... Even when it was stacked against you like that, you still just wanted to step over and compete and give it a shot. Like, like, look, obviously, yeah. it turned out to maybe not be the best decision or whatever. But could it? Do you think it could? You know, it's one of them. Like, if it, if it went the other way, and you were standing on the top step of the podium, like it's one of them where you go, oh, it was well worth it." Like, but you don't know, I suppose, until you maybe take that chance. You know, like. <laughs> I just I wanted to make my mum and dad proud, um, and I just remember seeing them after. I was just devastated. Because I didn't retain the title when they were there. Yeah. Did they, did they get to go? Did they get to go and see you compete at that level anymore after that? No. No. Uh, that's a shame, I suppose. But, in fact, uh, well, they saw me. They saw me win uh, win the uh, double European in Scotland in two thousand. Okay, so I suppose yeah, that's someone. How was that? How was that experience having them there? Because uh, yeah, it can be a little bit different. I I think. I didn't really see them because you're with the team and I went to see them um, before I competed and stuff, but I didn't spend time with them because I'm very much, I just take myself away. I just, I don't want any people talking to me or anything. I just go into my own little bubble and that's that. Yeah. Yeah, because I know in like like 20, the Worlds in Ireland in 2017 was the first time I, uh, my mum and dad, and at the time would have been my sister. My sister's now like on the team and has competed, but it was the first time they would have seen me compete at that level. Um, so like, it was different. How were they? I suppose it all could have worked. Like you know, winning kind of it helped helped it. I suppose, but I just um, I didn't think that would make a difference winning with them there. But it, like the way that the fact that it actually happened like that, when I think back, it was like it was made it so much better. Like you know, it's, it was great that they They're were there. After it, you'd won. Yeah. And then they were there. That would have been so special. Yeah, that was kind of how it, it kind of felt. Was uh, yeah, because I hadn't given it much thought. Like oh, like but like you said beforehand, it wasn't like I was thinking like oh, won't it be great when I win and they're there or if I win? Or, you know, it was kind of just after it was like, Jesus, great, they're here and get to see you and, and it's a different. They must have been so proud. Oh, chuffed, yeah, chuffed. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, like I imagine it's the same for you. Like at that time, like when you'd won and they were there, it was uh. It was a great experience. Oh, it totally was. Cause my, my dad was very one competitions. He wouldn't come and watch me unless he knew what time I was going to be on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And my mum said, nope, you're going. And that's that. Yeah. So. And see, it's, it would have been even harder then because I suppose like now you have live streams and, and that and like and you can keep up to date with what's happening. But then it was if you weren't there, like you said, you didn't see it. And there wasn't necessarily videos to go back and watch either. No. Yeah. Well, people would video it and stuff, and it it wasn't the same. You yeah. just had to take feedback from coach and remember what you did right or wrong, and uh, take it from there. I was always one for even when I won the first worlds, I came off and I, I beat North Korea in the final, which was unheard of. Which was, and then I remember coming off to Willie going, "Oh, I didn't do that." I didn't do this. He's like, Julia, stop. So it's always one for <clears throat> not reflecting in the glory, but realizing what I did right and what I did wrong and fix it. Yeah. 
do you think that's why you were so successful across a long period of time because you never dwelled maybe too much on the last one it was always like it was that always a thing that you had was right i just want the next one where's the when's the next one when's the next yeah. one i have to always win always. the next one always yeah. uh, even after the first world i remember coming back and i was like right when's the next one i want to be i don't want to be somebody that just goes oh i've won it once i was like i want to win it again and again and again and see how many times i can win it yeah it was uh, okay. no, I, I, always... I always realized no sorry no, i no. always realized there was people coming in like new people and stuff so i had to be better because everybody obviously as a world champion or european champion everybody wants to beat you so i had to step up and go right how can i change things like so that people don't know what i'm going to do yeah Okay, there was, uh, I heard this, it was, it was, it was A.P. McCoy, Tony McCoy, the, the jockey, he did an interview before, and he said this thing that I've always heard about, he said like, winning is an extremely addictive drug, and it wears off very quickly, is, <laughs> so that's what, that's what, uh, that's what he kind of described it, what kept driving him, was like, he'd love the feeling of winning, but that, that it would go away so quick that he needed to try and get the hit again, he needed it, he was addicted to winning, but it just kept wearing off so quick, and I thought it was like, never heard that before, but yeah, uh, I can relate to that, yeah, yeah, it's like you always want to achieve more and more, once you've achieved something, you want to do it again, and when people, I remember when I won the first Worlds, went to a competition in Scotland somewhere and uh, a couple of guys came up to me and they said, oh, congratulations. I went, oh, thanks. He went, anybody can win it once. And I remember that to this day. And they walked away. And I saw them maybe five, six years later. I went, it's five enough for you now. (laughs) And just walked away. And they're like, fair play. Yeah. I just thought... You're giving a somebody a compliment, but candid, it's you're kind of dismissing it at the same time. Yeah, yeah. And had they had they remembered saying that, or or was that something that maybe you had just remembered that they kind of said that passing and you, it just stuck with you? It didn't really necessarily stick with them. Oh, or, or had they, they really stuck with me. Yeah, stuck with me, but it made me even more motivated. Yeah, even more motivated. Well, yeah, okay, I'll do it again. Yeah. But you didn't stop at five then either. There was number six to come as well. <laughs> yeah, there was another one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, but like coming after like two thousand one, then like was a like had motivation. Kind of would you say it ramped up again? Because obviously, like it did. Like two thousand one didn't go the way you had expected to go. Like was two thousand three like really one that you kind of went well? I'm definitely going to win this one. I mean, after the hospital in two thousand one, and then I pushed myself. I was really ill for probably over a year. Um, my body was just destroyed with the gastroenteritis and then me pushing myself to limits. So it took me about a year to get back to kind of where I wanted to be. Uh, and then I was like, right, okay. Poland, 2003, let's do it. Build up my strength. I mean, I had lots of hospital appointments and stuff to get my, my strength back. So I'd basically the whole stomach lining had gone with being so ill uh, and because I pushed myself my immune system was rock bottom so I had to rebuild that uh, but yeah that wasn't going to stop me so 
had mm. lots of, thankfully my sister's a nutritionist, so she was a massive help and everything. So yeah, then got back to strength and doing well, went mm. to Poland and won the double. Yeah. Was that, was that always the goal? Like every competition was to win both patterns and sparring? Yeah, everyone. Would you, have, would you have came away disappointed if you didn't win both? If you'd won patterns or did not sparring and one sparring, not patterns, if you had like a gold and a silver, just that maybe one gold, would you have been disappointed? Well, that's happened a couple of times. I've only won one. Yeah, but did that feel like oh, yeah. it wasn't a success? Because I, I, I can't, I'm not fully sure who was on the podcast. Again, it was a, I can't remember who it was, but they said that any tournament they go to and they don't win double gold, that feels like a failure of a tournament. And like, how, uh, you know, and when you're talking, I'm not necessarily like you, but It's I hard to explain. Yeah. Oh, something. I was never disappointed when I won. But yes, at Worlds, when I won my first double, I was like, right, I'm going to do this the next. And then well, I did it 2003, 2005, and 2007 in Canada. I didn't. I only got only. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds awful. I won sparring. I remember uh, getting beaten by it was a Canadian girl. In the first round of patterns, I was devastated. It was awful. And then I had like a, a day or so to go, right, get yourself together. Let's get on, get this one. So that, yeah, I understand what you're saying. Yeah. Okay. But, uh, and did that, did, like, it was, a, was your sister being a nutritionist, was that somebody you would have worked with, like, throughout your competitive career, looking after that, like, looking after your nutrition? Like, was that something? Yeah, supplements and nutrition and just obviously when I was so ill, getting like good gut bacteria back and feeling healthy again. So yeah, she was a great help Yeah, Uh, and advice. And had you get sick at that time? Had that anything got to do with the food poisoning and still kind of trying to compete or like was it kind of just, were they not related or was they all kind of linked together? Say that again, sorry. Was it just like when you had the, like from you getting the food poisoning and still competing and all that sort of stuff? Was that what kind of led to did that lead into you getting sick after it all? Kind of yeah. it was all it was all linked no. together. No, because when I was ill in Italy, it was gastroenteritis and whatever happened. And yeah, then you have to rebuild your body okay. after that. And because I pushed my body after the two days in hospital, then it just my body went thanks. Yeah. <laughs> no. And was was something was trying to condition something you would have trained a lot like to throughout your time was that kind of something that was there or was it just very much all taekwondo training? No, no, I did oh, so much weights and I love I've done weight training since I was sixteen. Um, <clears throat> and one of the, the guys that used to be on the team, uh, Alan Cosgrove, he's a sports nutritionist and a friend of mine who lives in America now. He's huge in America. He used to send me programs all the time, which was great. So he used to send me stuff and I would just do it. So I did uh, train too much, hence the hip placements and stuff. But yeah, always did uh, weight training, conditioning all the time. Because I think you need to do that to be strong physically and mentally. Yeah. And then I'd do different days of patterns, sparring, drills. Used to make up my own drills and do it myself. Yeah. Every morning in the gym, kicking combinations, patterns, loads of stuff. Yeah. 
it's actually great. I I think like if you don't see it too too much now, even like many people like let alone you don't see many people compete in two events like patterns and sparring. Never mind, I suppose winning in two events. Like, did you find? Did you ever find it hard to to balance the the training in both? Like to train your patterns, train your sparring, try and train them the same to win in both. Because I, I know myself like that. I I would have always done patterns and sparring, but about the last like last year was kind of the first year I didn't do both. I just went sparring because um it just felt like that the time like when I look at like someone like if I was to win four degree patterns and I'm trying to be. Lillian Dulé it's like am I going to put in the time that it takes to beat Lillian Dulé and win a gold medal it's like no I'm not because that's going to take away from my sparring training so I feel like I should just put all the time into my sparring training that was kind of my thinking because um, I felt like I just couldn't do both and do both really well uh, did you ever feel that there was a problem with you did you ever find it hard to balance both or did you feel like you just managed to get a good a good balance no, I've, I never ever thought that um, to be honest I always like I had to schedule stuff and I'd make sure I did both equally. And if I was maybe not failing at one part, but if I had to work on patterns more, I'd do more on that certain time. But I was very regimented. I made sure I did both equally. Um, so no, I never felt like that until obviously I started getting a problem with my hip and I, my kicks were going down. So I concentrated more on the sparring then because I knew it. I knew I couldn't do moon moo. I just yeah. I wasn't capable of doing it. So then, yes, I concentrated more on sparring then. Yeah. And so, like, when did you first start to experience this? Was um, injuries? Was that like when did they kind of start to kind of affect you? Oof. Well, remember oh, one Europeans had a torn cartilage. And I still competed and I had surgery when I came back from that. Oh god. I think that was 2004. Um and then I started noticing I was training for Canada 2007. I started having this really bad pain in my groin and all of a sudden, because I was always really flexible, I worked hard on it, then my flexibility started to go really fast. I was like, oh, this is not good. Um, so I kind of trained more sparring and that's hence I got put out the first round in patterns in Canada uh, but then I won the sparring and then after I came back it got worse and worse I went to my doctor and he's like yeah you need to go and see somebody so he referred me to a hip surgeon um, who worked with the Scottish rugby team and when I first saw him I took an x-ray he went Yep, you really screwed your hip up. So he gave me one surgery, to clean, a bone growth and oh, everything. So he cleaned it all out and said, right, you've got one more tournament. And I had the surgery eight weeks before the Europeans. And uh, I won the Europeans eight weeks after surgery. After having, not a hip replacement, but I had to change my whole sparring, had to change everything, but I was so determined uh, to win and prove people wrong because everybody said you can't do that and I went oh yeah I can so I did eight weeks after surgery but nobody knew the whole team weren't allowed to tell anybody all the competitors everything that's crazy that's a savage achievement that that must be like sticks even special like that was like like the the, like there's a 
like I suppose every competition maybe has its uh, it, the ups and downs in the build up, but not many more so. I suppose than, than an injury and sort and, and not just an injury, but to have surgery as well. Like you know, it's like it was like it wasn't that you were just working around the surgery or, or just working around an injury. Uh, like to have surgery and, crutches, and come back. And, I was on crutches for two weeks after it, and my surgeon, Mister Gray, said, "Right, if you do exactly what I tell you, you said you want to win. I can help you win." And he did, and I phoned him as soon as I won. I went, I did it. And he was just, he said, I can't believe you've done it. I didn't think you would. I thought you would, but I didn't know. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Fucking hell. Eight weeks. Yep. That's, that's it. That's, I have to say, that's insane. Um, was it like that with all your not injuries? Very many, not, not very many people know that. Yeah. And was it like that with some of, like, even your other injuries? Would it, like, was anybody aware that you had those injuries? Like, even your cartilage, like, the, the, what, the cartilage, like, before that, did anybody know? Or had you kind of kept that to yourself, just turned up and kind of went, done the business and yeah. came home and went, okay, I get a bit. Like, nobody actually knew at the tournament, did they? No, obviously my teammates and stuff, they knew. But no, they were absolutely, nobody else could know. Because then that's seen as a weakness. Yeah. yeah. So I just hid it. From everybody. Yeah. It's hard to know what that happened though. You know, with social media, like, you know, people post this was like so much to some degree, so much of their training and all. I don't know what's something like that. Stay, stay quiet now. Yeah. What's the point? It's, it's, it's not about bravado or anything. It's about keeping yourself in check. And <clears throat> that's probably one of my biggest achievements doing that after surgery. And, I was so proud of it. Um, but then after that, I decided to do another competition after my surgeon told me not to. So I was training for the Worlds in 2009, Argentina again. So I thought, right, I won the first one, 1999. Do my last one, 2009. And I was in agony every day training, every day. But I was determined to do it. Um, <clears throat> So yeah, um, it wasn't the best tournament, got to final. The first fight, I uh, tore my plantar fascia in the first fight. Yeah. <clears throat> but kept going, got to the final. And the, the, the sole of my foot was just like an egg. And one of my best friends, Michelle and the team, was like, get me ice, don't tell anybody, don't tell anybody. And I couldn't walk. <clears throat> got through the next few rounds. The final, I was hoping it was going to be the same day. So we just keep going, but they put it on to the next day, and I was like, "Oh no, <clears throat> agony!" Uh, and I had an Argentinian Argentinian girl on the final center stage. I was like, "Right, let's do this." It was the most confident I've ever been that I, that I won, and they put her hand up. It was the biggest. That was the worst time of my life. Because yeah. I was adamant I'd won it. So I felt confident. I was done everything right. And they put her hand up. And of course, there's no scoreboards to see it. Oh, uh, that destroyed me. Yeah, I was going to say, like, because like, scoreboards obviously kind of came in after that one, I think, wasn't it? It was kind of just around 2009 where the scoreboards yeah. started to come in. Do you, had you, had you expect, would you have competed with it? There was no scoreboards before that really, was there? Or was there? <sighs> no, there was a timer and stuff, but there wasn't. Like who's scoring what, or if you know you're up or down, there was nothing like that, so you didn't know. Yeah, 
do you think that would have changed no, that, changed anything in terms of your your style or anything like do you think knowing the score would have affected how you sparred or anything or would you just like, would you have just it all been the same do you think that's a hard one I don't know um I watch a lot of competitors now and they watch the scoreboard and I think that it's taken away from what they're actually doing. I'm glad I didn't have that. I think it might have distracted me. Yeah. I think it comes back to nearly, like you said, like it's it's another element to the mental part of the game, really. You know, it's, it's you can, like you say, if you get too caught up in it, you could lose the fight. But if you're smart about it and you use it the right way, knowing the score and, like you said, being smart and not getting caught up and just looking at the board and, it can work to an advantage. It's just, I think you can... it can. But I see, I see so many competitors now. If they're doing they're up, they're just running around the ring in the last few seconds. So it's a gameplay. It's not about sparring and fighting. It's when we were doing it, it was just like you just fought to the end, and that was that. You didn't know. Yeah, yeah. I was. It's funny you said that because I like. Uh, I was I was watching some uh, some matches back from a couple of years ago, like around two thousand ten, two thousand eleven, and um, and I was guilty of this as well of just like you know you know you're up and you have the warning and you just turn around and walk out, and uh, I kind of look back and I go like I get frustrated like at the time I didn't and I kind of thought ah, that's just part of the game but I look at it now and I'm kind of like I don't like I don't like that being done to me, so I wouldn't like to do that to somebody else like okay you, if you want to take a warning but at least be a little bit. Maybe be like you know cute about it, like you know, like like just just stopping up and, and just turning around and walking out. It's a bit like ah, oh, it's it's a bit jammy, like do you know what I mean? It's just yeah, it's, it's just you know what I mean. It's, yeah, I don't I don't like I don't like that. I just like to see people fight, spar right until the last second. Yeah, yeah, I and just of, give it everything. Yeah. I kind of feel like the same, like if you're up, like I said, you don't like, there's no point if you're up, like just going and attacking, like and, and getting caught and losing the fight. Like it's yeah. so just being smart. And like I said, if you want to take a warning, like, like at least be smart and cute about it. Like don't be so obvious to turn around and walk out. Like, you know, like, or it just, at least make it, at least uh, make it like look, that. at least make it look like you're fighting till the end. You know, that's, and like I said, like I wouldn't have been like, I wouldn't have thought like that, like back before. But when I look back you now, I kind of like, ah, I, I, I don't like it. <laughs> Yeah, I'm, I'm I'm thankful I grew up with the greats like uh, uh, Paul Germain and watching them in North Korea and like obviously Stefan Tapalatu and grew up with them, but watching them was just an eye-opener going, wow, yeah. this is incredible. There were so many great, great fights and the whole, all the countries I've travelled to, you just learn something somebody asked me once who do you want to be like this was years ago about me I don't want to be like anybody I want to have my own style yes I admire them but I don't want to be like them yeah that's why it's kind of funny though because now there's there's kind of there's people now who are saying they want to be like Julia Cross really? (laughs) (laughs) yeah you know that's probably do you ever think of that? (laughs) I, I don't you. actually, because I don't see myself like that. Uh, I just see me as me, and I've got these titles, which I'm grateful for. And if people want to do as I did, then best of luck, and I can help them any way they want. Yeah. But it's quite humbling to hear that. Yeah. 
I suppose that kind of maybe sums you up as well. Like Fierce got like Fierce competitor, very successful and very driven in that. But then also like that, like did not get you don't get carried away. Like you said, like you refer to him as a I have a few of these titles. Like that's kind of how you refer to them. But like you have more, <laughs> you have more than any other female. So you know, like <laughs> so it's not just a few really. You know, compared to everybody else. No, but I'm glad I'm this way, and I think that's why I won so many because I was never happy with what I achieved. I always wanted to achieve more, and I didn't think. Never once I went, mm, "I'm world champion. I can stop." I was like, "No, I want to do it again because I like this." Yeah, yeah. I think that's for sure. I think that's a the kind of way, a great way to be, like not getting caught up in, I suppose, your own hype and. Uh, no. um, never have done. Yeah. And so, like, but my mum and, and dad always kept me grounded as well. <laughs> they they'll do that, won't they? That that's mom, yep. that, that's parents, really, Absolutely. Isn't it? <laughs> they uh, they they don't want to get too carried away. <laughs> no. uh, and like obviously we just said like like the, the scoring kind of was just that the change maybe as you came to the end. But like, did you see much um, changes from when you started? We'll say your first European Championships to two thousand nineteen. The styles that you spared. Did you see many different styles? Or like, did you notice there was different styles as you were going through? And how, did you have to adapt your style or anything like that? Or do you feel like your style was kind of the same when you started to when you finished? Ooh, that's a question. Yeah. Oh, definitely evolved over the years. I mean, when I first went into Europeans and stuff, it was the unknown. <clears throat> uh, over the years, yeah. Yes, you see what people are doing, especially uh, when I was competing. The biggest challenge was Poland, the Polish, the Germans. So you, you would kind of look at them and see what they were doing, not try and emulate them. Beat them. But see how you <laughs> could beat them Yeah. in a different way. So yeah, got evolved all the way through my career. I think it, 2005 to maybe when I retired, it was kind of plateaued, if you like. Yeah. Everybody was kind of doing the same thing. So I had to change it a little bit to make sure I was winning. And I brought in stamping kicks and different things. Because you know the Germans were always psychic, 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 psychic. Polish were always like hands, 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 turn a kick. Yeah. So, yeah, adapted, changed. Obviously, when the hip got bad, <clears throat> I started using stamping kicks a lot more because I couldn't do psychics as much. And nobody expected it. Yeah. yeah, so it, yeah it evolved massively over 10 years. Yeah. Would you, would, do you think you would have ever looked back as a, uh, from like maybe like to when you start, like if you were able to go back and watch a video, maybe from when you started, do you think you kind of go back and go, oh my God, what was I doing? <laughs> like e- do you know, even though you're still like because i know like, i did that myself like like even like matches that I, i've won and maybe won clear you look back and you go oh my god like how did like how did i win that like like if you, you look back and think if if my, if i spared my life me today the way i spared, spared myself back then i'd whoop myself you know <laughs> do you know what i mean that makes sense <laughs> if that does that make sense you know like it's it does but yeah. when i first started the young girl i didn't know what i was doing and then of course, I don't have many videos from when I started. I've got a cover full of videos there from, well, you should go through them one time. But yeah, I've got loads of videos I'm proud of. There's montages and stuff on YouTube. And yeah, I'm 
I'm proud of what I did and I'm happy and I just wish I could still do it, but I can't. So yeah. that's that. Yeah. That's what I kind of you on to maybe to where I wanted to ask you about was how how did you find like having the operation and kind of finding out you were going to have to retire? Was it kind of a maybe a, a hard thing to kind of take? Like did it take you a while to get used to the fact that maybe you weren't going to compete again, especially at that level? Yeah, uh, Argentina uh, 2009, I knew something was really wrong with my hip. And when I came back, Mrs. My surgeon went in and he basically said, you've cracked your head, your hip's going to collapse. You need to stop now or you'll be in a wheelchair. That was, I remember sitting in his office crying and crying. He went, Julia, do you want to walk or do you want to fight again? I said, I want to walk. Yeah. So that was the only option I had. I didn't want to retire. I wasn't ready mentally, but my body just went. And when he told me my, they showed me the x-rays, he went, Julia, your hip is destroyed. <clears throat> he said, you need a hip replacement as soon as possible. So yeah, I had to get a hip replacement. I think it was two months later. And I had to walk about in absolute agony. I literally couldn't walk. And then they had to remove half my pelvis, put a plate in, and I had a the femur head completely cut off and the full rod down my leg. Um, when I woke up from that surgery, well, that was an eye opener. Yeah. So yeah, that was. But I just took it on as right rehab, go for a competition. I need to get working. I need to get walking. I need to. So yeah, it was a big shock to the system. Yeah. Was it kind of, did it feel hard to like that you maybe didn't get to have, I suppose, a lot of sports people, like not just in Tick but like a lot of sports, like you kind of want to feel like that maybe you, you're in charge when you decide to stop to some degree. Massively. Like, like you, like, you know, you let people like to go, well, oh, no, no, I'm finished now. I suppose maybe you didn't necessarily have that because, you know, the injury, like your hip kind of said, no, you have to stop. To so, you know. I think if I'd, I knew the hip was bad, but if I'd won in Argentina, if I got the decision, and I'm never a bad loser, but I really felt that I won that. If I'd won there, I think I would have accepted having to retire and get the hip placement better than I did. Yeah. And so, like, then, like, in terms of then, did, did, like you said, did you, you had to approach, I suppose, rehab nearly like you were getting ready for a competition, though, really, was it? Like, the, I suppose, that training camp, that preparation, that mentality you had to have to, to come back from and get yourself recovered. Absolutely, I had physio, uh, and they were great with me because they knew what I'd achieved and they knew I'd work hard. And and the physio I had at the time was ten years ago now. She said, "You're just brilliant to work with because you just get on with it." I said, "I want to be walking. I want to get back training." So I did everything the surgeon said and the physio said to the absolute word. And so then, like, did, did you find it hard then to transition into, I suppose, a coaching role? Or did you kind of find that kind of going from competitor to coach? Did you feel like, did, was that kind of transition um, easy for you? Or do you think it took a while to get used to? I didn't really do it for a couple of years, to be honest. Because I found retiring really hard. Had a hip replacement. Built a gym. So I was doing all this. Um, and I was trying to get my mindset settled as into what I actually wanted to do. So I was 
trying to get over not competing, which I'd competed internationally for 20 years. So to go from that to cut off, uh, opening a gym, it was a hard transition. I just threw myself into the new gym, rehab, everything. So I didn't, can't remember when I started actually coaching. It was a couple of years, I think I didn't do it for a couple of years. And then I thought, right, okay, I've got a lot to give. I would like to start helping other people apart from my own students. Yeah. How did you find that first tournament that you kind of were, that you were at as a coach and not as a competitor? Did you find that, that, that was that one hard? Like to not be able really to step hard. in? Yeah, I could imagine. Really hard. <laughs> really hard. Yeah. But it's, it's, it's totally fine now. And I just get so much enjoyment out of my guys and girls winning, the kids. Obviously, Gilles and Michael, Gemma, Katrina. And I think it's only maybe the last four or five years that I've, I know I'm not competing anymore, but I get so much enjoyment out of coaching them and seeing them win, seeing them succeed. And I think some of the feelings I get, like especially when Gilles or Michael win, Gemma, I feel like I've won. Yeah. It takes me back. Yeah. Like, I imagine like that that kind of nearly gives you a new a new lease of life and I suppose like if it's like the impact you're maybe having on them is some of the impact that maybe Willie van der Mortel had, had on you back at that time you know you're having that potential impact on them and achieving and pushing on you know well definitely when they first started competing internationally and stuff and <clears throat> I, I gave them like packs of like mantras and printed all stuff out for them, each individual, and wrote, I remember the first time I wrote something individual about them all, about how they could be great and just to believe in themselves. Um, no, I'm just so proud of them all, because they do, at first I don't think they realised the mental prep was as good as the training, but now they do. They yeah. definitely do. Especially Gilles, he, he works really hard on it. Yeah. It's... it's- I find that, like, yeah, I suppose you say it so often that, you know, everybody could recognise that, you know, and I suppose the mental preparation part of the game is is, is, is an important part. But, like, to take the time to actually work on it and, and to do something about it can be, not many people do, you know. It's, uh, it's, it's that's the thing, like, isn't it? Because it's, I don't I know why. I think it's I, as important as physical. Yeah, yeah. Like, I feel myself, like, any time I've, like, the times I've won to the times I haven't won, like, did, like physically there was nothing really different. I was as fit, I was as sharp. It's been kind of my mindset, or like, before stepping in the ring, maybe the days, the weeks. It's been my mindset beforehand, I find, has been the difference mm-hmm. between when I've won and when I haven't. And I suppose, like, you can only really, like, it's only when you look back you kind of realise that you, maybe your mindset wasn't exactly where it needed to be in that time because you don't like you're not standing outside the ring and going my mind isn't where it needs to be you can only think about that you know like <laughs> I, you know it's only when you look back and you go well maybe it wasn't the best or maybe I could have done this or maybe I should you know just it's hindsight I suppose I mean me- but definitely I feel mental like- preparation is is really draining it's really hard and you have to have it set to know what you do before you go on the weeks before fine but you have to have it limited to when you're going on and time set if you like to do it in the right time not not two hours three hours before but this 
section 10, 15 minutes before. Yeah. And like, I've spoken to some people, I know this is the same myself, and I think you kind of mentioned maybe some of it, so, uh, like you, you weren't really interested in everybody else before you went on, you were kind of in a, in your bubble, you only focused on yourself, like would you have been something where like, would you have watched many divisions, would you have watched many matches, but like before you sparred, were you very much like, I'm competing today, nope. and it's like, you know, it's tunnel vision for that day. I didn't watch anything. No? Even <laughs> no. in the, even in the day? I'm never going to watch some of the guys' fights or something. But no, I would just very much be in my own bubble and just go, why do I want to watch the person that I'm going to be sparring next? And not even that them. My, yeah, but not necessarily even people in your division, like, like you know, because like people in other divisions, like if the, I don't know, like the, the male minus 78 is on and there's some people you want to watch there because obviously, you know. No, I would watch that. I'd watch that. Yeah. Because what I'm kind of saying is like, I, like, like I know when I compete, like, like if I'm on in the, like the morning, like I, I've kind of found that I, I don't really care. I don't really want to watch any taekwondo that morning until I go on. So like, if my division isn't until eleven o'clock and the tournament starts at nine or eight or whatever, like I'm not watching anything beforehand. I'm kind of really focused. You know, it's kind of because I feel sometimes you can get caught up. Oh, there's a good match on over there and a good match on over there. And I want to see that and I want to see that and and then you forgot about yourself. That like, no, no, actually, I'm competing yeah. today. You know, you need to have that kind of focus. Would you ever have had that kind of totally, thing? Like, totally, totally agree with you. Um, and I've always said to my guys, don't spend your time walking around the arena watching fights. Just go and chill. Just look after yourself. Once you've competed, then yeah. Yeah. So yeah. I think they listen to it now, well, hopefully. But no, I was never one for watching, watching. Yeah, it's, it's, it could be hard. It could be hard sometimes, like, because you enjoy the sport, like, you enjoy watching the other divisions, you know, so it can be hard not to get caught up, like, you know, because you, you can be, like, as much as a, you can be a fan of the other divisions as well, you know, it's, um, it's, it's a, but you have to keep the, the focus for your, your own division, your own competition. That's the great thing about coaching now, when my guys are on or whoever I'm coaching, I can go and watch whatever I want, and it's great, because yeah. you see so much more. Yeah. Uh, do, do you get just like we'd say when Giles and Michael and are competing do you get just as nervous standing ringside with them as you would have competed because uh, oh yeah, yeah. Uh, mm, in a different way because um, I care for them so much because I've had them since they were like four or five years old um, and I love them at bits and I just want the best for them so I try and make sure give the positivity to them but you know I, I wouldn't say I get nervous for them I just have this feeling inside me that's like I want for them to win and be successful and get what they want to achieve. Yeah. And sometimes, like, I suppose, you don't really have control once they step in the ring. It's out of your control then, yeah. you know. It's, it's you want them to win so much. You've seen that the effort, the time, and, and you want to help them, but there's only so much you can help them because they still have to step in and do it. I'm so proud of them all, my, my European medalists and... Oh, they've just done great and they've evolved over the years and just to watch Gilles grow and Michael and Gemma and Katrina and it's just been so rewarding for me to have European champions in my own club which yeah. I've grown from yeah. no, babies no, that's, basically it's definitely that's it's that's a class achievement I, I think to like yeah. the fact that you were obviously so successful yourself but now like you, you've brought through people like you've been a successful coach as well like you've brought through people who have been successful and Giles would Giles have the most spare medals as a senior male 
I think he does need to, but he's 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 got two two European titles. Yeah, I think that is that the most from Scotland. Like, is he Scotland's most successful? Uh, so it's kind of classic that you'd be the yeah. most successful senior female, and then he and then from your and then from your club, he's the most successful senior male. Like that's that's a class achievement as well. It's great when he won his second one. Oh, I just remember I was he picked me up. He he's throwing me around the ring. I was like, <laughs> and I was just I know how hard he works and Michael and. Jimmy, they all work so hard, and I think I hope that I've installed that in them from what I did. And even through this horrendous year, they're still training themselves. They're still. It, it just amazes me, and I told them a couple of weeks ago that I was so proud of them that they keep functioning and training even though there's not a goal in sight. Yeah, yeah, it definitely has been a, I suppose, a hard part for everybody is trying to when you training for this imaginary time because who knows when it's going to actually be exactly yeah. exactly i suppose and then recently um uh, you were awarded an, an mbe um which is i suppose quite a big deal especially in in if you're from the, uh, the uk to be awarded one um how did it kind of come about well i had a phone call it was back in april actually um had this voice message from this person in London. I thought, this is a wind-up. We've not, we've not received a reply from your email. Um, could you give me a phone back? My sister was here at the time. I was like, what's that? So I phoned the number, I phoned her back, and he worked for the government. He said, we sent you an email last month about the Queen's honours list, and she wants to present you with an MBE. I said, I never got an email. He said, it must have gone in your spam box. I've obviously just deleted it. Yeah. So. As you would. I was on the phone to him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I said, so tell me what you know about me. So he rhymed off everything. Because I thought, this might be a bit of a. Yeah. And he told me everything on my titles, North Korea, like everything. And I was like, wow. He said, oh, we, we were worried that you didn't want to receive it. I was like, absolutely, absolutely, I'm totally honoured. So he sent me the other email and I had to sign a contract that I couldn't tell anybody until it came out. So I've known since April. And uh, yeah, it's a massive honour. Don't know when I'll get to meet the Queen and go to Buckingham Palace with all this. But yeah, it's a great honour. And apparently somebody nominates you and it yes, gets right. to the Scottish government. And it gets put to Parliament. Okay, yeah. Because so, that, that, that was going to be my. I was going to ask: Is it how does it get to from one day to, you're getting a call from a representative, I presume, of the Queen to say we want to on the like, so yeah, so somebody has to nominate you, and it goes through quite. Somebody a, has to yeah. nominate you. It has to get put to Scottish Parliament, House of Parliament, then the Queen has to agree on it. So very humbled and honoured, and obviously for my mum and dad, they're just over the moon and for my students and for the club it's a great yeah. honour we're yeah. very humbled by it came out of the blue yeah I suppose I did, did but I also think yep, sorry, sorry I also think it's just a nice finish to my career yeah that's what I was going, I was going to kind of say is that it's uh, maybe a nice way to sum it all up but like I suppose like what's maybe what's the word like, a, like I don't know is it maybe a a validation or a recognition that 
what you achieved was kind of class you know it was a, like you did achieve a lot it's kind of you know is it like i suppose it's icing on the cake really to some degree i don't know if that's the just no i think i think it is and i think over the years maybe i haven't been recognized for my achievements and i think this is yeah just wonderful and you see i think a lot of times like obviously but within the taekwondo i suppose community like everybody will recognize like how successful and how you know good you were and the same like people can recognize for i suppose like maybe thomas but like people in taekwondo recognize the people in taekwondo who are great at what they do but mm. people outside don't really have don't really know or care or seem to care too much it's sometimes recognition of great achievements outside of people in taekwondo can be quite hard to get or understand so like for you for that to be an outside recognition that within your sport you were one of the, the no, top you're so, people you're so right I never, after Worlds and stuff, I never did it for recognition. I never wanted whatever. I did it for myself, for my family. Uh, but this, no, this is something really special. And I'm very honoured to have it. Yeah. When do you think you'll get to meet the Queen? Do you think it'll be early 2021? Next year sometime. Yeah. <laughs> Who knows? I don't have the medal or anything but they said they'd be in touch when it happens so i just hope they don't send it through the post which would be <laughs> i know i'd say that i would ima- you'd imagine they would definitely give you give you the day, your day out in buckingham palace i know no, they said they'd keep in touch and when yeah. it happens it happens so and what sort of a bow are we going to give are you going to give a taekwondo bow or is it got <laughs> a chariot young <laughs> i'm not i'm not quite sure what you you have to curtsy. I'm not quite sure. I have to I have to look that up. You have to study off. Yeah, you don't want to not insult the queen. No. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. Uh, yeah. So I suppose actually, nearly before we kind of finish up, I um, I thought I I'm not too sure if you have remembered, but uh, I tend to ask everybody if you had to pick a favorite fighter that you like oh. to watch, and um, that you like to maybe somebody could be somebody from taekwondo could be somebody i don't know if you like boxing or another martial arts or any or other sports that you maybe you'll enjoy watching but if you had to pick a favorite fighter uh, who would you pick well it'd have to be muhammad ali yeah i used to watch him all the time and i've got some of his quotes on my fridge all the time just to oh he was just incredible in taekwondo paul germain from Canada, that was a long time ago. He was just incredible. Yeah, a lot of people. I don't like to say yeah. he was he was something else. Yeah, a lot of people from that time kind of recognised that he was a, a a great competitor. Um, unfortunately, that it's hard to kind of uh-huh. see. It's hard to see him for like as you said, there isn't much video from that time. So to go back and watch what he was like is quite. It can be quite difficult. But uh, but yeah, anybody who was around at that well, time definitely speaks very highly of him. Well, obviously now, like Gilles Brown, obviously like watching him. Yeah, he liked that. No, he <laughs> no. Li- he liked to mention. <laughs> yeah. No, Julio Carlos. He's he's a great fighter. Uh, his footwork is second to none. Yeah, yeah. There's a so some good choices there. I think if you had to pick a favorite Muhammad Ali quote, which one would you be? Would you go back to? Is there one that you always went back to as a competitor? I'm gonna read it off my fridge. Um, can't see it. I need to go and get it. That's no worries yet. I took this with me every competition. Uh, champions aren't made in the gym. 
Champions are made from something they have deep inside them, a desire, a dream, a vision. They have the last minute stamina. They have to be a little bit faster. They have to have the skill and the will, but the will must be stronger than the skill. That was always a standout one. I think that's it. That's definitely a great one. Um, yeah, I love it. It's on my fridge every day. Okay. Maybe I think yeah, I think that's it. Maybe even a good place to leave it. I think it sums up you as maybe as a competitor, as a as a as an athlete, and uh, yeah. Well, thank you so much. I was nervous before, but no, you're a great interviewer. Thank you very much. I thank it's been you. It's a pleasure. It's, it's really appreciated. Like I said, thanks for coming on. It was great to have. I suppose the most successful female, most successful. Would you be the most successful competitor in taekwondo? Six foot yeah, male or female? Patterns. Patterns are sparring, I think so, yeah. Well, Susko's yeah. got six world titles as well. Okay, yeah, I forgot, yeah. Mm. Okay, so well, you're up there, like, you know what I mean? He doesn't have more. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't have more, you know? So, yeah, no. I think, right there, yeah. So, like, thanks a minute for coming on. Really enjoyed the chat, really enjoyed hearing your story. And, yeah, and hopefully we'll get back training and we'll get to, I'll see you at the, at the championships or something like that soon. Other side of this. Yeah, and hopefully we'll get to meet That'll the Queen. Great. Hopefully we get to meet the Queen soon as well. Yes, I'm, I'm working on my curtsy. <laughs> Lovely stuff. Uh, so take care. Enjoy. Enjoy your day. Right. And uh, all the best. Thanks. Okay. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Bye.